Welcome to the Melinda Eitzen Show. I'm Melinda. Today we're going to talk about taxes. I know you don't want to think about it, but sometimes we have to. And we are very fortunate to have an expert tax lawyer, David Gare, with us from Lock Lord. Welcome, David. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, we're glad you're here. So your entire practice is tax focused in one way or another. Is that true? That's right. Uh, my practice is focused on tax controversy work. And so tax controversy work means uh, any sort of dispute with the Internal Revenue Service or the Texas Comptroller. Uh, and that could be you know, litigation and tax court, which is what it mostly is, but it's also administrative things. Um, and so I, and I do uh, just about every type of tax controversy from uh, criminal tax representation, uh, but more focused on probably civil uh, things from everything from audits uh, to collection uh, to tax court. Um, and I also, uh, and, and, uh, also with my job at Lock Lord, I, I teach at um, SMU. Oh. And I, I teach a class called Tax Procedure. It's a very exciting class. <laughs> so we should be calling you Professor. Uh, and, and, and so in my class, we go from uh, talking about audits. We really start, start with that. There's this appeal process that the IRS has. We talk about that. Uh, we talk about tax court, district court litigation, refund litigation, criminal tax. Uh, spend a lot of time on collections because that's probably the biggest area with, with IRS tax controversy work. So we kind of cover the gamut. And um, you represent both individuals and companies who have tax problems. Correct. Uh, uh, high net worth folks and, and that oftentimes that the work I do with people is uh, folks that have their own business. Mm -hmm. uh, because when you're an employee, uh, there aren't many people that run into too many problems when you're an employee because you have your taxes withheld and there's not... Uh, too much that can be uh, that the IRS bothers people with that are just employees. But when you're when you have your own business, problems occur. Uh, not paying your payroll taxes, for example, or uh, you know being too aggressive with your tax deductions. Uh, so so it's mostly businesses uh, or or individuals that own businesses. Okay. So number one tip for our guests is nothing's going to get better by ignoring it. Right. Uh, that's right. So that's a very common thing with, with taxes. People get into a problem. Uh, it's, it becomes overwhelming them for even, even to think about it. So they continue to repeat it year after year and it sort of snowballs on itself uh, to a point where it causes some major problems. Um, Better to just the first letter you get. They mainly write to people, right? The IRS. The, uh, so the IRS uh, definitely will write to you, and one of the one of the things that they'll say is that if, if you get a call from somebody purporting to be the IRS, that is fraud. Okay. Um, and, and, <laughs> Important and that, tip. That's that's true, and so uh, people are getting calls all the time. I get calls all the time from people uh, claiming that I, I owe a bunch of money in taxes and that they're going to put me in jail. Uh, if I don't pay, and that that's fraud. The IRS does not do that. Okay. And so, yeah, it's a it's a series of letters, and so the first letter that you get is warm and fuzzy, uh, and hey, you haven't paid your taxes. Uh, you need to, you know, pay us. Um, <laughs> Let's do and, that. <laughs> and then if you ignore that, it gets worse and worse to the point where they say, hey, if you don't pay us, we're going to start 
take in your bank account, the money in your bank account, and go contact your employer and take uh, your wages that they're supposed to pay you, and that instead your employer will pay us. Um, so they, they it gets worse and worse. But yeah, definitely uh, attack it at the very first level. You can get the best deal with the IRS when you attack things uh, first. And then the other thing is if you ignore all those notices, there's lots of due process rights uh, that taxpayers have that if you don't open that envelope, you're going to lose the, those those rights that you have. And so oh, it's that's a big to, reason. Important Jump to, on it. Important to deal with it. Just rip the Band-Aid off. Okay, <clears throat> so in divorce world, which of course I live in, helping people get divorced, we sometimes have situations where one person doesn't know what the other person is doing. And they end up with a big tax problem not due to their involvement. And, you know, in theory, they were signing the tax return. But now so many people file electronically, they maybe didn't ever actually sign anything. Maybe they just signed something that said, you're allowed to file my tax return electronically. Right. So what happens for that spouse? So that that's uh, actually one of my areas that I sort of specialize in. I've uh, written and spoken on this topic quite a bit, and the topic that you're talking about is called innocent spouse. Uh, so the the general rule is when you file a tax return with your spouse, you're jointly and severally liable with them for all the tax liability. And so the IRS can come uh, after the husband if they want. They can come after the wife or both. Uh, it's indiscriminate. And so you're, bo you're both on the hook for all the liability. Even if the liability came from the wife, for example, the husband is responsible for paying it or vice versa. Um, and so it, 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 you're right that it comes to a situation where some spouses uh, aren't involved in the tax preparation. One spouse generally is the one that does it, uh, communicates with the CPA or does it on his or her own. Um, and, and so the, the other spouse is just like, hey, just do what you need to do. And, and, and then they're presented with a return. And maybe sometimes they sign it. Maybe sometimes they file electronically. Um, but, uh, but there's solutions to that problem. And the solution is this thing called innocent spouse relief. Um, and so if you, the only way to get out of that joint and several liability that you have with your spouse on that tax return is to request the IRS uh, consider you an innocent spouse. And the innocent spouse rules are sort of complex. There's a lot of factors that go into it. Uh, like it has to do with your education level and your knowledge of the taxes. And were, were you involved in the business that created the tax liability? And um, would it create an economic hardship for you if the IRS were to hold you liable? Um, and the IRS about 10 years ago they changed the rules on it so that um, they, they, it's actually more favorable for taxpayers now than it used to be. Um, hard to believe that the IRS <laughs> would make something easier for taxpayers. It's right? good news. Uh, but they but they did. And the, the thing that they focused on was the uh, existence of uh, spousal abuse. And so it used to be that you had to show sort of bruises and cuts and like physical violence, right, to be able to... You say, hey, Iris, I was I was a victim of spousal abuse. Well, you probably know this better than I do, but it uh, abuse takes many different forms, mm -hmm. um, and mostly it's psychological. Uh, and, and one person is more sort of uh, in control of what's going on, and and one, one the other spouse isn't going to want to challenge it all that much. Right, um, right. 
And so the IRS understands that. And so one of the things I do is, unfortunately, you have to kind of get into that a little bit and provide that information to the IRS. Like when you, when you do your innocent spouse request or when I do it, I like to tell a story. Um, and so the form itself has got a, bo a lot of boxes to check. And if you just check those boxes, whoever's looking at it isn't going to get a full flavor of what your situation is. And so mm -hmm. I do a big narrative. Um, and instead of checking those boxes, I'll say, see attached letter. And so I want the, I want the person to read that to get a flavor for it and get a lot more success doing, <clears throat> uh, doing it that way. Um, and the end result, hopefully, is that um, the IRS is going to say, hey, the husband's uh, going to remain liable and you, the wife, or you know, you're the innocent spouse or vice versa, you, you're, you're off the hook with it. And it, it gives the person a fresh start, which oftentimes in divorce, they're looking for a fresh start anyway. Yes, absolutely. And so uh, having a fresh start with the IRS is is key so and they could avoid that even having to go through that if they filed married filing separate but there's often financial incentives to file married filing jointly true uh right so w one of the things that people don't understand is that there are various ways to file your tax tax return you're not required to file uh jointly everybody thinks hey i gotta file jointly i'm married well, well, no, you don't. That there's uh, there's there's options, and especially once you find out that uh, there's a tax liability, for example, and one of the spouses is not being honest. Well, if you continue to file jointly with that person, that's a bad fact for you. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to um, file separately. Um, you know, in Texas, there's some there's rules about how you're supposed to report uh, community property, and so you have to follow those. Sometimes a spouse isn't going to actually tell you what their income is. And so there's like, that's sort of a tricky situation to deal with, but there's, there's ways around that as, as well. So yeah, you, you have to be thoughtful about how you actually report in the first place. If you know that somebody has got problems, you don't want to be involved with it. So you got to yes. uh, file married filing separately. So again, it's better to be aware. It's better not to put your head in the sand, take action. If you had, the first recognition, you know, the first year you might have to go ask for innocent spouse, but don't just keep adding on. If you're not getting divorced, right. don't keep adding on to the problem. Go file married right. filing separate. And, I, and I'll say this, one of the biggest factors that they look at uh, is whether you're divorced or not. Uh, and if, you, uh, if you're not divorced, you filed for divorce, for example. Um, and then uh, when you're doing your divorce decree, uh, one of the most important things is to put in there that one spouse is agreeing to be liable for it. So the husband, for example, is uh, agreeing to be liable. So that's a factor that weighs in, in, in favor of the innocent spouse. I so see. If you, uh, if you say that both spouses are going to continue to be liable, that could be a negative thing for you. Yes. So really um, people need to tell their divorce lawyer if they think, hey, something shady was going on and I don't want to be responsible for it. That could be something negotiated in the divorce decree. Right. Not that the federal government is bound by what our state court divorce decree says, right. but it sounds like it's an important indicator. Right, right. Yeah, so the, just like you said, the IRS is in the party to it, so they're not bound <laughs> by it, uh, of course, but it is a, it's, it's an important factor. So... Uh, and if you don't have that, you have to have a lot other good facts that weigh in favor of relief to sort of uh, supersede that. So, 
in uh, one of the divorces I had that I represented the husband in, they had they weren't really overly sophisticated parties, but they had built up a really successful business and sold it. And they went to a big firm in town that was considered, you know, well regarded. And they entered, they learned about a tax shelter that someone had created. And they did what the firm told them to do tax shelter wise. And they ended up later that kind of everything fell apart. And the IRS said, mm, no, you might have had to pay. It was millions of dollars. Right. So the biggest issue in our case was, oh, my gosh, what about this potential liability that they thought they didn't address, you know? Right. They thought it was addressed, and it, it wasn't. So what are, what's the deal with tax shelters? So uh, tax shelters have been around uh, for, a, for a long time. Uh, there's a lot of desire uh, uh around the country for people to reduce their taxes. I mean, I want to reduce my taxes. Oh, Everybody yes. wants to pay the least amount of taxes possible, right? Uh, and, and so uh, there's a bunch of people, and I call them promoters, that uh, prey on people's desire to reduce their taxes. You know, most people want to do it legitimately. Um, and doing the, the tax shelters that are out there, taxes are complicated. The Internal Revenue Code is on my desk, and it's, you know, it's, it's – <laughs> thick, like four inches, really small print. And, and then not very organized and a, not organized in a logical right. fashion. <laughs> yeah. You, if you, a, a normal person reading it wouldn't, wouldn't understand it. And so it's, it's very complicated and, and, you, and, and so it's just a, a fact. And, and the, the IRS uh, has been after people that are promoters for time immemorial as well. <laughs> um, but uh, the IRS, uh, recently here got a, a big influx of money, which is, uh, which they needed badly. They're at levels of employment, I think, that haven't been seen since like the 70s or 80s, which is hard to believe, even though our population has increased substantially. And so yes. the, the, the number of tax shelter promoters that are out there these days is ex expanded and, and there's just a lot of different ones. Uh, some of them are more uh, technical and, and closer to being maybe good. Uh, but there's a lot of them that are just really bad and, and, and fraud, fraudulent. Um, uh, so the thing to be aware of when you're, uh, you've got a spouse that's getting uh, hit with one of those and people get hit with them all the time is you've got to realize that you want to have somebody look at your, uh, the tax shelter that's an independent person. An independent meaning, hey, I've got this longtime CPA who's always done our tax return. I want to go to this pr promotion, see what it's all about, but then have that CPA or go to a tax attorney to say, "Hey, is I've, this is the this is the deal? Is this a, is this good for me to do? Is this legitimate or not?" The reason why you want to do that is one: if it's not good, they're going to tell you, and so you're going to avoid a lot of heartache. Yes. Um, second, uh, if, if they say it's good, but then the IRS later in comes along and disagrees, um, there's this thing called reasonable cause to get out of the penalties. Uh, and so if you have an independent person that looks at it, uh, an independent meaning, you know, it's not somebody that's associated with a promoter. Sometimes the promoters will say, hey, have, a, have this CPA. They'll give you a tax opinion. They're really good. They know what my plan is. Well, those are those people are probably not the people you need to look at. You need to look at somebody who's not associated with that person. So. Because some of those tax promoters are giving people kickbacks like that CPA, right? So a lot of them, uh, that's a business model that they have uh, that allows them to get a lot more clients that if 
hey, CPA, uh, I'll give you a, a little, little kickback on if you bring me clients, well, then that CPA is now incentivized to do it. And then they're probably going to say, hey, this is a good plan. Um, that's a problem. Right? And some of these people creating these fraudulent tax shelters that might not appear fraudulent, they're charging people a ton of money. They are. Uh, so I've had clients get charged anywhere from 25000 to $5 million to get into a tax shelter. And it's usually something that's sort of pre-printed. They've already got it set up. All they have to do is change the names or you know, do a few things to uh, focus it on that one person, and uh, they're they're you know th that's that's how that that their business model works. They make a ton of money off of a very little amount of work, uh, and then if the IRS comes and and they usually do come around, uh, that person sort of disappears and is no longer helpful uh, and doesn't back up what their uh, their plan was because it's hard to back it up. Oh my gosh. So people need to be careful. I mean, it just shows you, um, if it sounds too good to be true. <laughs> right. Uh, so, so that's, that's one of the funny things. There's, uh, when I've talked to the government, uh, many times they'll say, uh, this is, this is, this breaks the, uh, too good to be true rule, yes. which isn't really a judicial doctrine. <laughs> uh, but if it, if it does sound good, too good to be true, uh, then it probably doesn't work. And the, the, the government does have, the, the law does provide, a lot of uh, judicial doctrines, uh, and one one specifically that's actually in the Internal Revenue called the Economic Substance Doctrine, and that's how uh, the IRS attacks tax shelters generally. And it's basically uh, if there's no other reason to enter into a uh, into a deal other than for taxes, then it doesn't meet the smell test, and it mm. the, the, they can basically do away with it uh, and collapse it. So. so be careful, be careful out there. So your practice also involves estate planning. So uh, oftentimes with my clients, they're in a, in a hole, they're in, they have a problem and it's immediate. The government's auditing them or we're in tax court. And so there's a, a problem to deal with for past year's mm -hmm. problems. And so that's what I generally deal with. But uh, if we wanna make sure that those problems don't continue to happen, the famous saying, like, if you're in a hole, stop digging. <laughs> uh, so, so what we'll do is we'll do planning to, you know, uh, get, get them into a structure that works, uh, and it avoids whatever the, whatever the problem is that they had. So, uh, with tax controversy, there's always the litigation, there's always the, you know, controversy work against the government, but there's also planning to get out of that problem. And so, I do do estate planning, and uh, right now it's a, a big time for estate planners uh, because the the uh, estate uh, exemption amount is is about thirteen million dollars right now, and in about a year uh, it's going to go down to um, six million dollars. Uh, so it's going to be cut in about half. It's so odd how that number can change so dramatically with the law changes. Right. The, the law is sunsetting at the end of 2025. And so, uh, you know, it's uh, people are taking advantage by, you know, setting up trusts and making gifts to trusts and so forth for the benefit of their kids and so forth. And uh, so a lot of people are trying to take advantage of that before it goes away. People think that the exemption is probably Congress is not going to be able to get along. Bernie Sanders and Ted Cruz are not going to be able to get along enough to change that. And and so people think that it is going to sunset, but who knows? It depends on who wins the next election, I guess, and what Congress looks like. So, 
And that's part of your job is keeping up with what is the current law surrounding all of this. Uh, it's a daily uh, <laughs> endeavor for me to uh, keep up uh, and keep up with uh, you know my news feeds and so forth to see what regulations the government's putting out and uh, you know whatever new bills the the uh, Congress enacts uh, inevitably has something to do with taxes. Mm -hmm. so, it touches everything. It's right. inevitable. <laughs> You mentioned earlier that sometimes people are getting in trouble, business owners, because they're not withholding payroll tax. Why would they do that? Uh, so this is actually a, a, a big issue for a lot of companies and a lot of startup companies. Uh, sometimes you, you go into a business and when you start up, that's the hardest time and you need money to fund your operation. So take, for instance, a construction company. Mm -hmm. a construction company will get a, a bid on a project and they might win it. Well, in order to get paid, you have to start doing work. You have to hire employees to do the work. Buy you materials. To, you need to buy materials. You need to have cash in order to do that. And so oftentimes people in startup businesses don't aren't cash rich. Uh, uh, you know, over time they, they might be, but it, it, that, that's, a, that's a problem. And so it's hard to get loans from banks if you're starting up uh, because you may not have that great of a balance sheet. Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard to get it from friends or family members or whatever. So they have just a limited amount of money. And so they take that money and they do what they have to do to keep the lights on, pay the rent, uh, keep their pay their employees. That's pretty important. Mm -hmm. If you don't pay your employees, I found out that, that, that they, you don't have any. Quit. Uh, and, and so, but the one thing that uh, they 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 do is they say, hey, that that payroll tax that I'm supposed to hold in trust for the government, instead of paying them, I'm gonna just hold off on on it for a month, and I'll pay them back next month when we get that big uh, you know fee from the builder or whoever it is. But what happens when that builder doesn't pay or is delayed? Well, now you've got it going on another month. And so sometimes it snowballs on itself to a point where you're now a couple years, a couple, three years into not paying your payroll taxes. And payroll taxes uh, are something where the government is not going to just look to the LLC or the corporation, whatever it is that you do your business with. They can actually hit you uh, the owner of the business, the president, whatever, the people that are responsible, the ones that are signing the checks with personal liability for that. And it's actually uh, probably the number one or number two criminal uh, investigation um, uh, thing that's going on right now with the government. There's a, there's a lot of criminal investigations going on and the IRS really thinks that it's stealing uh, because it kind of is. Well, they've uh, withheld it. They've held, withheld it from the employees yeah. and you're supposed to hold it and trust for the government and then you don't do that. That is yeah. kind of stealing. Can the individual employee get in trouble? Um, well, so the individual employee actually gets credit. There's a regulation that gives them credit even if the employer doesn't pay it over. Oh, so for, good. for their social security <laughs> and whatever yes. they're, they're taking care of, which is a kind of like a double hit for the government. Like they're not getting it. Yeah. They have to give credit to the employee. I would see why they focus on that then. So, so it's a big thing, right? Yeah. And, and we know that uh, the tax coffers are not collecting what they used to. And, and this is an area that's important like that. The IRS wants uh, 
people to be treated as employees and have those payroll taxes because it's a constant source of funding for them. And if, if that funding gets cut off, then, you know, the king doesn't get happy. Yes. Or gets angry. I have a client right now, and he's very upset to discover that his legal fees and his divorce are not tax deductible. <laughs> and I think that the law says we it have to involve tax advice, which we do not give tax advice. Right. There's actually a famous Supreme Court case on, on that topic, and a business owner tried to deduct a bunch of the uh, attorney's fees for his divorce because it related to his business and so forth. And, uh, and unfortunately, it, it's the... The doctrine is the origin of the claim doctrine. So <clears throat> if the legal representation that you're getting has to do with business, then it's deductible generally. Uh, and if it has to do with personal, uh, which unfortunately I think divorces are personal. <laughs> they are. Uh, then, then that's not deductible, unfortunately. He just keeps telling me, did you know? <laughs> I'm like, yes. Tax is so complicated and people are so afraid of it. It's the one thing all family lawyers have in their contract. We do not give tax advice. We touch all areas of law, you know, right. in complex divorces. And we don't say that about any other area, but everyone's like, we do not give tax advice. Uh, yeah. Fa family law touches on mergers and acquisitions and mm -hmm. uh, in pretty much every area of the law, criminal law, you, mm -hmm. do, you deal with sometimes, mm -hmm. I'm sure. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting area and, uh, Lots of uh, interesting personalities that you deal with. Too. It's true. <laughs> One thing that people don't realize is the transaction between the spouses. So dividing, for example, an IRA or a 401k, that's not a taxable event as long as they don't pull it out. You right. know, eventually we can just divide it and it becomes two IRAs or two 401ks. It's one way to look at it. But as long as we don't pull it out, they don't have to pay income tax between them. So that's nice. Right. There's a, uh, uh, a code section that talks about gifts between spouses. So you, when, when you're married, you can give your, uh, a gift to your spouse. You don't have to file a gift tax return. Uh, and so that transactions between spouses are just kind of like your, uh, a transaction with yourself, really. So it's not, not a taxable event. And then it, similarly, like you're saying, when you get divorced, there's a code section that talks about how it's not taxable if you're dividing assets up. Uh, now, there's sometimes problems when, you know, if it's dividing assets right when you're getting divorced, that's great. But then there's certain assets that are hard to divide right then and there, and they need to be divided out over time. And so there's rules about how that works. Um, and, and you can still have it be non-taxable, even if it happens over a longer period of time. But that's one thing to be careful about. Has to be papered properly. Has to be papered properly. That Correct. it is pursuant to the divorce and not something, right. some deal they're doing later. <laughs> Correct. Uh, the other thing that comes up for us a lot is we have debates over separate property and community property. And there will often be a family member, maybe a parent who gifted or loaned them a large amount of money. And the fight later becomes, well, was that a gift? And who was it a gift to? Or is it a loan? And the community owes it back. And one thing we always say is, well, was there a gift tax return? <laughs> Why would someone have to file a gift tax return? Um, so whenever you make a, uh, so th there's an annual exclusion 
uh, where if you are under that amount, $17,000, let's say, uh, then you don't have to file a gift tax return generally. Uh, but if you're giving more than that, so for example, you're giving uh, your son uh, money to buy a house for the first Very time. common. Um, well, it's a, you give him $50,000, let's say, or $100,000. Um, well, that, that actually is a gift and you have to report it. There's not going to be any tax to pay if you file a gift tax return and you do it right. Uh, there's no tax to pay. It uses up some of your lifetime exclusion. Um, but but you do have to file a gift tax return. And so uh, if you file a gift tax return and it's to a specific person, then you know that it's a gift to that specific person. Mm -hmm. If it's to uh, that your son and his uh, your soon-to-be daughter-in-law, then maybe it's a gift to both of them. How mm -hmm. do you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, I would I would think that you know doing this sort of tracing and trying to figure that out is mm -hmm. sort of hard. And I think the default rule is that it's community property, right? Mm -hmm. And that's always the default world <laughs> rule in our world is if you can't prove it, separate property is your burden of proof if you want to prove it. Um, and most people, I don't know if it's laziness or they don't want to bother with the gift tax return or they don't want to use up part of their lifetime exclusion. So they just call it a loan. That's what most people do. <laughs> right. And I, and I think probably a lot of people don't even realize that they have to file a gift tax return. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, if you're, you know, uh, you know, even if you're a sophisticated person, you, you don't realize that that's something that you have to do. Uh, but, but it is. It is a real thing. It's a real thing, yeah. <laughs> so you're at Lock Lord mm -hmm. International Firm. Excellent, excellent firm. If someone wanted to reach you, how best can they find you, David? Uh, so welcome to uh, fi find me on the internet or uh, call me, email me, and uh, hopefully uh, you all will provide my information. Yes, happy we'll for put it on the screen. So that'd be great. So if anyone had any tax concern, they could call you. And if it's appropriate, um, you could help them. And if not, you'd know where to refer. So, so here's, here's the thing I always do. My, my goal is always to help people uh, with, with whatever their problem is. I'm always happy to take a first call, no charge, uh, to see if I can help them. Um, if I can't help them, I'll probably know where to go to send them. Uh, of course, I'm not going to do divorces, so I'm going to send them to you. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, but yeah, the, uh, it's it's pretty easy usually to pick out what the issues are, the mm -hmm. problems, um, and so it, it's a it's worth a, a little bit of time to talk to somebody to to figure out if what you're doing is good or or not so good. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here today, David. I enjoyed it. It's great having you here. Thanks. And that's our show today, the Melinda Eitzen Show. And the tip to take away is: do not procrastinate. Make sure that if you get a letter from the IRS, you deal with it promptly. Be aware. Don't stick your head in the sand. If you think your spouse is doing something shady, you might as well look into it. And if you're afraid to, just file married filing separate. So that is the tip for today.